Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. Welcome, Uh, and I am excited uh, to have this conversation. Uh, One of my biggest goals for our time together uh, is that it is uh, the kind of presentation uh, that would spark many conversations uh, amongst us uh, on a subject that uh, maybe too often uh, the church has been quiet and silent, uh, and that depression and anxiety become Uh, the kinds of things that we can talk about within the context of the church. Uh, Because too often, uh, I think the the kind of sentiment that's captured by John Locke has too often been the experience of us within the church. He says, being depressed is bad enough in itself, but being a depressed Christian is worse. And being a depressed Christian in a church full of people who do not understand depression that, that is like the taste of hell. Uh, and one of my goals is just that how, how the Scriptures, how the Gospel uh, speaks to the subject of depression uh, becomes more clear to us uh, so that the stigma of these emotions are less, uh, so that the awkwardness of having these conversations uh, would decrease. Because uh, I might ask the question this way, uh, what, is, what is more overwhelming than being asked to carry an unbearable load? I think one answer to that is being asked to carry an unbearable load and then move forward with it. And sometimes uh, that's what the experience of depression and anxiety can feel like. Especially when we're trying to give the most well-intended practical advice of these are the kinds of things that we could do to help us overcome this kind of struggle. But we're feeling like we're doing everything we can just to bear up under the struggle. And so then when this practical advice comes, it feels like I've got to carry the load and move. And, and when that happens, even the most practical advice can, can feel like it comes from an enemy. Uh, somebody who's just trying to do you harm. Or it can at best feels like it comes from a stranger. Somebody who just doesn't get it. And in some ways, there's really no way around that obstacle. And so the first thing I want to do is just acknowledge it. That for those of you that are here out of a a personal struggle with uh, depression or anxiety, uh, the courage that is represented in in coming and just saying, I'm willing to sit through what it might look like to begin to address this struggle differently. There is a lot of virtue in that. And it may not feel that way. It may feel like uh, despair or doubt of like, oh no, what am I going to hear? What is He going to tell me that I need to be doing, that I'm not already doing, that that I'm going to feel bad that I haven't been doing that. Uh, But I think it represents a significant amount of courage just to say, I want to come and be a part of that conversation and, and hear what might be available. Now, um, there's, 
there's a couple of different ways that we could engage this conversation, uh, that we could think about it. One would be to ask, what is everything that I need to do? What are all the steps that I need to take in order to overcome a struggle like depression and anxiety? I don't think that's the best way for us to start something like this. Uh, I think a better question uh, is simply, what is the next step and how do I prepare myself to take it? Uh, and that's why when we, when we set this material up, and you'll see there uh, at the beginning it says, uh, chapter 1 or step 1, prepare yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually to face your suffering. Um, the first step is just to prepare ourselves for the journey. Um, and and the, the title that we give it is Starting a Hard Journey on Empty. Uh, because that's most often what it feels like. It feels like we're starting on empty because usually we don't come to begin to address something like this until it's become large enough that we feel overwhelmed by it. And so, uh, one of the cautions that I'll give you uh, is you've got a 40-page notebook in your lap. Uh, this is a nine-step presentation. Uh, and it may begin to feel like just because we go over something verbally, you're supposed to be there personally or emotionally. I don't want you to feel that way about this material. Because uh, I think the caution uh, that David Murray gives us uh, is very appropriate and telling. He says, certainly one of the biggest mistakes you can make is to try too much at once. Uh, you will fail and become even more depressed. But again, if, if we think all of this we've got to do just because we sit through a presentation and hear it, uh, we would be mistaken. He goes on to make a, a clarification that I think will help us. He says, as anxiety and panic attacks are also commonly associated with depression, so much so that doctors are increasingly using the term depression anxiety when referring to uh, depression, much of what I write, and I would say much of what I say, will apply to these uh, stressing conditions also. Uh, and so we will, we will deal with depression and anxiety as if they are two sides of the same coin. Uh, and at many points throughout our conversation, uh, we'll talk about why those two things go together. Uh, oftentimes, anxiety is this amping up. Uh, there's this artificial energy boost as the fight or flight sy uh, syndrome begins to kick in. But our body can't endure under that. And then there's these time periods of emotional crash when we're just down. And things get neglected for a while and they tend to back up. And that's the depression. But then when we get kind of rested in that time out, and the things that didn't get done, we spike back up to that anxiety, and it's as if there is this flow between the two. So as opposed to saying we're going to deal with those as separate subjects, uh, we're largely going to deal with them as two sides of the same coin. Now, uh, we begin to ask the question, where do we begin? You say this first step is us for to prepare. How do we do that? Um, and... And one of the things I would encourage you to keep in mind is as you think about where to begin, I want to make sure that you're thinking of yourself as God's child and not God's employee. Because uh, I think, uh, particularly as Christians, that is often one of the traps that we fall into, where we begin to think of ourselves as God's employee, as if God is trying to get a return on His investment in our life. And He's going, I died for you, why are you moping on me? Uh, and, and that's the way that, that's the voice that we hear that is not truly God's voice, but it's the voice in our head representing Him. 
And so as we talk about where to begin, one of the things that I'll try to draw out is the spiritual significance of these kinds of initial steps. Uh, that these are primarily things that God wants for you and not just that God, things that God wants from you so you'll get back in the game and be productive again. Uh, but in addition to drawing out uh, their spiritual significance, uh, I'll also take some time to draw out their physical uh, significance. The kind of physical restoring and cleansing benefits that they have. Um, because one of the things that often gets muddled up in the conversation about depression and anxiety is the role of our body and physiology, uh, biology, and neurotransmitters. Uh, and, and as we talk about that, there's, there's a whole lot of that that's in Appendix A of this material. Uh, in the presentation on mental illness, we'll go into that uh, a bit further. But I want us, even in this introduction, to see how some of the things that God wants for us significantly impact those things. And so, uh, David Murray, before we look at that, he says, there are usually no quick fixes. Uh, for Christians, there will often need to be a balance between medications for the brain, rest for the body, counsel for the mind, spiritual encouragement for the soul. Uh, we will answer the question, what is depression, by looking at how it is related and reflected in five areas of our lives. Our life situation, our thoughts, our feelings, our bodies, our behaviors. Uh, again, we may not use those exact five in the way that we break it down, but what I want you to hear from that is hopefully you're going to get a holistic and balanced approach to this kind of subject. And so one of the first things in those areas of preparation uh, is... How are we doing with our sleep? Uh, because sleep is vitally important. Uh, and depression and anxiety often interrupt our sleep patterns. Uh, and one of the things that sleeping regularly, kind of seven to eight hours a block uh, every day, part of what that does is it just helps us maintain the rhythm of life. Oftentimes in the midst of depression and anxiety, we're up late, stressed out, we're not sleeping well. Then we're tired throughout the day and we take a nap during the day and then it becomes harder to sleep at night because we got sleep during the day. And our entire schedule gets off and we just begin to feel disoriented to life. Uh, fighting for a regular sleep pattern is an important part of preparing for the journey of facing uh, our depression and anxiety. But a second thing that it does is this is a primary time when the brain replenishes itself. And when we start getting short segments of sleep, and our REM and non-REM sleep is not balanced, uh, then the restorative effect that sleep is intended to have, the way that it um, restores the, the sugar stores within our brain so that we feel alert, uh, that doesn't happen. Uh, and it contributes to uh, the lack of emotional control that we have. We see this in the way that we get irritated with our kids when we don't sleep enough. If that happens in the area of agitation, it's going to happen in the areas of depression and anxiety as well. The second part is our diet. It, you know, let me ask you, where does our body get the component parts that it needs uh, to get a balanced brain chemistry? Where does the raw material come from? It comes from what we eat. Uh, and if we are not eating a balanced diet, then at that point we are not giving our body a balanced raw material from which to create uh, a balanced brain chemistry. Um, now, I think there's another aspect to a balanced diet that comes into play. When you begin to care about and pay attention to what you eat, 
it begins to show that you have a belief that your day-to-day choices matter. That your day-to-day choices have an impact on your life. What is one of the first things that anxiety and depression begins to undermine? It begins to undermine the sense that we can make choices that are really going to influence the things that matter to us. And so when we begin to make choices that show that we have a belief that we can impact those things, we are already countering one of the impacts of anxiety and depression. Exercise. Again, when we think about it, uh, depression is sedentary. Uh, Anxiety is very jittery. Uh, Exercise, particularly in its cardiovascular forms, uh, is very good for countering both of these. Uh, Exercise, uh, it cleanses the body of the free radicals uh, generated by depression and anxiety. Uh, And in addition to that, It boosts our energy level, it improves our sleep patterns, uh, and it facilitates a proactive um, approach towards life. Now, at this point, if you're like me, I know what you're thinking. These are the good things that we all know that we're supposed to be doing, uh, that we don't really want to do, and isn't there some other way we can go about this? And I think that's where we need to hear uh, the words of David Murray again. And he's talking about John 5, uh, where Jesus uh, said to the individual, uh, do you want to be healed? He was asking if they had the desire to cooperate with him in the process of being made whole. And reflecting on that, David Murray says, doctors and pastors are often faced with the frustrating situation of people who need the help that they can give, uh, yet are not taking the steps required to benefit from this help. He gives many explanations for why that might be. Perhaps they have just learned to live with the struggle. Perhaps they have uh, given up hope of ever getting better. Perhaps they lack the will to play their part in the healing process. Perhaps they are frightened of all the responsibilities of life that would come upon them should they be viewed as well again. Perhaps they would miss the attention and sympathy that being ill may generate. Um, Whatever that may be, Uh, You have no hope of recovery from depression unless you want uh, to recover and are therefore prepared to play your own significant part in the recovery process. Now this isn't to try to be heavy-handed, but oftentimes one of the reasons why I think Christians are hesitant uh, to think about depression and anxiety from a suffering paradigm, it's because the fear that if we approach it from that way, we're going to be giving in to passivity. We're going to be saying we're just victims of these emotions and there's nothing that we can do about it. Saying that depression and anxiety can be a form of suffering does not make us passive. It it does mean we're going to have to engage with these things in a particular way, but not out of guilt, thinking somehow we need to be forgiven as if this reveals an idolatry of some sort in our soul. Uh, But saying there are aspects of this struggle of living in a broken world that accessing the comfort that God has for us is still going to require things of us in the pursuit of it. And so a fourth part of preparing uh, is connecting with community. Another question that I would ask is what is the most painful part of depression and anxiety? Now I don't think there's any one answer to that and each one of us would have to answer it for ourselves. But I think one of the most prominent answers would simply be the aloneness. Uh, the sense that nobody understands and nobody gets me. Uh, because too often, 
uh, the unspoken rules of depression and anxiety are the same unspoken rules that exist in an abusive household. It's don't talk about it. Everything's okay. Nobody will understand. And again, one of my biggest aspirations for this seminar is just to break that mentality within the context of the church. And so one of the things that I give you in, the, in this notebook and in the Fuller notebook is just a sample letter that you might write to friends of yours to invite them into this journey with you. And again, I just overview it. It says, thank you that you cared enough to value our friendship. You know, one of the worst parts of this struggle and not telling anyone is the sense of being alone. The main thing that I would ask is that you do very little different in the time that we have together. Um, but it would be nice if I could share some of those times when I'm especially down or fearful, and if you could pray for me about that. Um, again, if you choose to go through the study, just a paragraph that says, I'm going through a study, and it would uh, here's where you can find it, bradhambrick.com backslash depression. And it'd be nice if I could share what I'm learning, or maybe you went through to understand it a bit better. Um, that... Um, also, in the context of this, of just saying, are there ways that I can pray for you? Uh, because one of the things that you can do is, is to help me get outside of myself. Uh, depression and anxiety tend to be very introspective, and being able to care about and pray for somebody else is something that's helpful for me. Um, I'm sure I'll learn a lot, uh, but I'm just grateful not to be alone with this. Thank you for caring enough to share this burden with me. And so again, those, you can make that your words, but something that allows you uh, to invite somebody else to come alongside of you um, on this journey with depression and anxiety. And a fifth area that I think is important with preparation is priorities. Now we can kind of fall off on one of two sides. Uh, there are some people uh, who try to do way too much. Uh, and, and what they've got... To, Everything in their life feels absolutely essential. And that's part of why they're stressed out and overwhelmed and feel like they're constantly failing. And part of preparing is just to recognize, I'm going to have to set that aside. And there's other people who, there's really important things that they grow passive and they begin to neglect important priorities. And there are people who are really going to have to kind of charge themselves that I'm going to have to address these areas and not let them be neglected. And so I think it's just important for you to assess ah, which of those fits me. Uh, now, Ed Welch reminds us of something that I think is important. He says, with all the debate about the causes of depression, and again, we'll get into that a little bit at various points in this presentation, it's easy to miss the obvious. Depression is painful. It is a form of suffering. And that's where we... You say, well, now wait a second, we're talking about this in a suffering paradigm and we're using these nine steps of how the gospel speaks to suffering. Now, why is that? You know, are you saying that all depression is caused by our environment or caused by our body? Are you saying that it's disease and environment? Maybe. Some of it. We don't know. It's in the presentation on mental illness in general where we'll step back and go, you know what? Just in the context of the church, being able to differentiate physical causes and environmental causes and volitional causes, it, it probably hasn't been our strong suit and we, we need to do a better job of that. Now we'll come back 
And we'll address uh, depression and anxiety again. And we'll do that from a personal responsibility paradigm. And we'll say, okay, what does it look like to address depression and anxiety when it is rooted in my values? When it is rooted in my beliefs and some of the behavior patterns that I've established and that it, it really is coming out of me and the, and the things that I want and desire. And, and we'll say, okay, it can be both. And part of what we need to learn to do is to sort our emotional laundry well. Uh, now the reality is, uh, every one of us are sinner, saint, and sufferer. Uh, if you're new to the Christian faith, or you're just exploring the Christian faith, and you say, I'm not a, a Christian yet, then maybe, okay, saint is one who's been set apart from God. That, that may not be an identity piece that you're quite ready to embrace. But at the very least, you're made in the image of God. And, and we're all still sinner and sufferer. And so it's not as if we go, which one of these seminars do I need? We all need both of them. Uh, there will be times in given moments of, or aspects of our depression, anxiety, struggle that we say one aspect is at the forefront and the other is in the back. And knowing how God speaks to both hopefully equips us for that journey. I love this statement here by Stephen Robin Bloom. Because I think it captures why we can have a confidence that God speaks um, to both sides of the depressive anxiety struggle. Uh, they say the Psalms treat depression more realistically than many of today's popular books uh, on Christianity and psychology. David and other psalmists often found themselves deeply depressed for various reasons. They did not, however, apologize for what they were feeling, nor did they confess it as sin. It was a legitimate part of their relationship with God. They interacted with Him through the context of their depression. And as we prepare for the journey that's ahead, I want you to see that you can relate to God out of your experience of depression and anxiety. And just like He says in Psalm 23 that He is the Good Shepherd who will walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death, He will walk with us through this experience.